0: Welcome beyond the Reiki Gateway. I'm your host, Andrea Kennedy. Like countless others, Reiki found me when I wasn't even looking, and then it ignited a whole new world of questions. This podcast explores topics of interest for the spiritually curious. Join me for discussions and special guests on subjects such as past lives, crystal healing, spiritual awakening, ascension, energy healing, and more, all to assist and inspire you along your unique soul's journey. Hello and welcome. I'm Andrea Kennedy, and this is Beyond the Reiki Gateway. My special guest today is Sally Crow. She's a natural psychic medium who's worked for over 30 years as a seer. Her passion for the psychic arts has led her to become an intuitive healer, educator, and author. She describes herself as a compassionate and dedicated healer who helps connect us with our own spirit, as well as those of our beloved dead and sacred planet. She's written three books, her most recent of which is called Spirit Speaker, A Medium's Guide to Death and Dying. Last year, she published The Path of Elemental Witchcraft, and her first book, Jump Girl, is her memoir. I'm so thrilled to have you with us today, Sally Crow. I've just been so looking forward to meeting you and sharing you with our listeners.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and to be talking about all the things I love, which are magic and communication, both with the living, the dead, making a connection between people is one of my favorite
0: things. Yeah, it's really interesting to get to know you a little bit. I have done a little bit in the background and one of the things that first drew me to you was Actually, you've studied Reiki, and is it six different styles of Reiki that you're a master in?
1: Yes. I started my exploration of Reiki when I was in my late 20s, and I was already doing divination for the public and practicing magic, and I deep dove into the healing arts, and I explored six different schools of Reiki, including what is now actually classified as rune valder instead of runic Reiki. I also explored vocal toning. Like I have been practicing vocal toning as a healing tool for over 20 years. So yeah, I've I've played around with many forms of Reiki and it's always been one of my loves.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of our listeners, I think, would appreciate that. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? How did this all really start for you? I've
1: been involved in the psychic arts in some form my whole life. I was born into a family where my great grandmother was my first teacher. She raised my father, he was raised by his grandmother, and people went to see my grandmother for medicine to look into their future, to connect with their loved ones who'd passed over. And my grandmother started teaching myself and my sister Sandy when we were really little, like three and four years old. We started learning about divination in particular and communication as far as how to communicate or that you might see spirits or that you did see spirits. We communicated a lot through mirrors when we were children so using that tool as a way of being able to see into spirit and yeah so i grew up with this so this was really my entire life my grandmother died when i was 12 though and i continued on my own education i began reading cards for the public when i was 18 i'm 52 now so i didn't stop it's it's like my life path so I'm kind of obsessed with learning about the psychic art and then moving on and teaching about the psychic art. Yeah, it started with divination. I just started as soon as I was like, got my first deck. It was almost immediate that I just started reading for people. I had been doing that for a while before. I owned a metaphysical store. I've owned two metaphysical shops, one when I was in my 20s, and that's where I met my Reiki master. And Reiki for me was. It was just fabulous because everything I had learned, I had learned kind of by, you know, climbing over a fence and through a hole in the cellar window, you know, after my grandmother. My But my grandmother didn't use terminology that we would have used. You know, she was part Blackfoot Native American and part Irish traveler. So she just use simple speak like you know spirits talk to you sally or sometimes you know things sally reiki was the first like here's a structured system and it was also the first time i i described it as like somebody opening the door so instead of having to go through and come up with my own way of getting into the building it was like somebody opened a door and in my mind i was like i didn't even know there was a door And then to teach it for years, I've taught it for years and see so many people of all walks of life be able to do something so instantaneously, like before you take a Reiki class, you can't do this. You take a Reiki class and you can do this. And in all my years of teaching, I never had a student who couldn't do it.
0: Right. Yeah. I totally agree. It is really remarkable. I, I can't think of anything like it. But yeah, I love how you brought that up. And so you started out with this in your life, and then you ended up learning Reiki, that structure and that kind of thing. Yes, I think a lot of us do that the other way around, oh, yeah. where we start out very mainstream and and that kind of thing. But you know, mainstream is not foreign to you either. You're up in Vermont, are you not?
1: I am. I live in Vermont. I live about 40 minutes from Canada. I live in an area that's called the Northeast Kingdom. We're mm-hmm. known for our rural beauty. We have a, like, a lot of like, agro-tourism. People who are coming from mountain biking and skiing and to go into the pristine waters, that kind of stuff.
0: Right. But you have a pretty, I'm going to use quotes here, normal sort of life too, where you've Integrated like two worlds because Mm -hmm. isn't it true that you were on the school board? I was. Yeah, you've been married for quite some time. And
1: yeah, I'm pretty normal. I have been married to my husband for 30 years. We've been together. It'll be 33 this year. No, 34 this year. Yeah. So we've been together a long time. And I've lived in the same location. I live in a very rural town. So I've lived here for like 25, 26 years. I was on the school board for nine years when my kids were in school and even when they had gone out of the elementary school. And I wasn't just on the school board, I was also on the regional school board. So yeah, I'm pretty good at mixing my worlds because I've always, like I said, I had metaphysical shop. I've always been a person who's. Really been approachable to everyday people. Like, so my clients, I could go into any pub or any store and say these people are my clients. You know, my clients are doctors and nurses and grandmoms and waitresses and producers. You know, like I get this really wide variety because I've been doing this for so long, but it all started with very little advertising other than word of mouth. And like I made my own brochures and people just kept passing my information on.
0: So remarkable. I want to get into the topic of elemental witchcraft with you. And this fascinates me because it's really foreign to me, to be honest. And I've always been very curious about witchcraft and elementals and, and those types of things. Could you take us into that topic and begin explaining that for maybe our listeners who it's new to them too.
1: Sure. So witchcraft is really, magic is science that hasn't yet been explained. That's how I describe magic. And witchcraft, a witch is a wise one. That's really what the word witch is is that a witch is a wise one. They are a wisdom keeper. and craft is because it is an act of doing. like a artisan has a craft, which is if you're a clockmaker, that's a craft. If you are a seamstress, that's a craft. Witchcraft is its own kind of craft that has techniques that has different varieties. It is something that in many ways we all practice without even thinking about it. So like if we think about blowing out candles at a birthday party and making a wish, that is technically an act of witchcraft. So witchcraft spell work is activated prayer. It's not as foreign as we think it is. The word witch, has a lot of negative feedback around it because of witch trials, persecution through religion. But when people are actually practicing witchcraft, they're what they're doing is they are actively using their consciousness and usually other items that they might use as mental triggers or because that item has a significant energy of its own, such as crystals or herbs but you're using these things to manifest a outcome so it is activated prayer so that's how i like to describe witchcraft because i think that words can be very triggering and one of the things i've always made a point of in my writing and in my work my teaching when i work with clients individually as a psychic whether i'm doing divination for them looking into their future or Talking to their dad, I'm always looking to make it normal and approachable and to take the fear out of it because I think that it is normal. So, first of all, I'd like to talk about my clientele that is very normal. When I say that I grew, I grew out of this little tiny town and I used to do an hour and a half radius where I'd go to people's houses and I would do parties, psychic parties and seances. And people just kept sharing me with other people. And I literally had my publisher for my book. Actually, I met him because a person who was big in the crystal world came to my house for a reading and then introduced me to him. So everything happened for me, small and out of Vermont. And because I was authentic and normal So, where my first book was a memoir, I knew that my clients would read it. But what I didn't expect was when the Path of Elemental Witchcraft came out, how many of my clients would read it and not only read it, but take pictures of themselves holding my book up, sending it to me on social media. And we're talking about really normal people who are holding a book that on the front of it literally says witchcraft. And the reason why they were willing to do it was because. I had demystified a lot of things for them already because technically a psychic reading is considered magic. Spirit communication is considered magic. But where we are in the world right now, we are at this place that we're coming to where science and magic are saying the same thing in a different language, okay? And that's why I talk about witchcraft as activated prayer. It's also a psychic art. It is something that we can get better at as we go along. Elemental witchcraft is working with the spirits of nature, those forces of nature, earth, air, fire, and water. It is something that can be approachable I wrote the book to have no religious condentation. So whatever your religious beliefs are, if you have a really restricted religious belief system, you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast anyways. But this by no means do you have to worship or interact with any deity or give up any deity that you already have a relationship with. This is about, in many ways, it's I was, I'm also a druid, so I'm not just a witch, I'm a druid, and druidry is a spiritual practice that's completely based in nature. So elemental witchcraft is, is that bridging of those two things, of druidry with a lot more magic in it, a lot more spellcraft in it.
0: And if I can ask then, as an elemental witch then, what do you use it for? What is the practice like?
1: everybody's practice can be a little bit different. I wrote the book as four books. I actually was first going to write a book on water magic. And when I proposed it to my publisher, I told them that I thought that there should be four books covering all the elements. And they agreed that they wanted it all in one book. So that's how it came about. But it's a big book. It's 570 something pages. So each of the elements, I cover five different magical or psychic arts topics. And how people practice is going to be different. How I practice might be different than how you practice, or even how my sister practices. My sister's an herbalist. So a lot of this is communicating with the plants that for her have a magical potency. She learned might be using communication and divination skills to do so. You can work with the elementals to make your gardens better to help your land to flourish, your life to flourish. You can use it as an expansion of consciousness. Each of the four books has a section on divination. So there are divination practices that people can learn because what I do is I tell a story about something that's real that either I've done or something that's happened to one of my clients. And then I teach a technique. So it's literally people can, from the beginning of the book, if they've never practiced any kind of magic, they can expand their magical understanding significantly by following the book, like reading and go going chronologically. But it's also designed for advanced students to be able to go and find particular things because it's got a great index. But I use my relationships with elementals for a lot of things. I personally have a really sacred relationship with the element of water. I use water in most of my magic. I do a lot of my own personal magic in the bathtub. And so I do a lot of my journey work and divination in the tub. Divination is looking into the unseen or the unknown. So it can be looking into the future. It can be looking into a current situation. It can be looking into the past. So there are instructions in this book for beginners even how to do divination while they're in the tub. There is in every section, like I said, something on divination. So there's something about like fire scrying so that when you're sitting around the campfire, everybody likes to watch the flames and the coals and how everything moves about. And this book actually has techniques for taking that to the next level by asking questions and receiving your answers through these kind of methods. And that's just one of the subjects that's covered in all the elements, you know, so those are ways I use my relationships with the elements on a regular basis. Healing's another way. There are a lot of different methods for healing that can be done through working with the elements. And for example, there are instructions in the air section of the book on how to use vocal toning. Vocal toning is sacred singing. In short, it's kind of the elongation of vowel sounds. So when we do a OM in yoga class, we're technically doing vocal toning, but there's instructions in there on that. And that is a really powerful form of healing. As I was saying in the beginning of the show, I've been using vocal toning as a healing tool for over 20 years.
0: Yes, we actually do that too in Karuna Reiki. All right, cool. We do toning and chanting. So it's it's so interesting how it all kind of goes together and dovetails. It does.
1: So elemental witchcraft is kind of folk magic, you know, when you think about it. So. As I got older, I started to understand that what my grandmother practiced would be considered granny magic or Appalachian witchcraft. But I was in New Hampshire, which is still part of the Appalachian mountains, or, you know, still part of that. And my grandmother had the same kind of background. She was Native American and she was Irish. So a lot of Appalachian magic has its roots in native american practices and in celtic practices so a lot of what i teach is that elemental witchcraft because it's meant to be close to the earth to be working with the forces of water fire air and earth it is something that can be practiced every day and most of my magic is meant for solitary practitioners to do around their home while they're cooking soup, how can you infuse your soup with healing energy? Well, that's spell work. That's magic. That's witchcraft. I think that's why it did appeal to so many of my clients who I never imagined would want a book on witchcraft, but I have been pleasantly surprised, and the book is done really well. What it is is it's that natural at-home magic that i can do in my yard how do i make my home more peaceful well in the earth section i talk about how we can use geomancy which is working with the earth's energy lines to create temples in places that will enhance the positive energy on our property at the same time i also teach people in the communication sections how to become sensitive to communicating with otherworldly beings, other dimensional beings, such as undines of the water and sylph of the air. It's a lot of information.
0: Sounds like it would need to be going on 600 pages for sure. Can you go a bit deeper into these other beings and describe them, how they're alike, how they're different? sure.
1: First of all, I'm a psychic medium. Part of my job is I communicate with people's beloved dead. So I have regular office hours, 20 hours a week in which I am doing that. So my main skill has been developed in communicating with the dead and seeing the dead. And I've been aware of that since I was little. But my grandmother also really infused in us the idea that we could also experience spirits that are of nature, fairy folk, elemental beings. There's a lot of crossover between when we think of fairy folk and when we think of elemental beings. So because elemental beings are part of that fey world. So I like to talk about the worlds as different dimensions, as colored folders, If everybody knows these colored folders, the clear ones that you can put your reports in and look through. So there's a pink one and a yellow one and a blue one and a green one and a clear one. And the physical world is that clear folder. And we can all perceive in this clear folder. The world of uh, spirits of the dead might be in the blue folder, the spirits of nature in the green folder. And some of us, are colorblind and we can't really see very well into those other realms. Some of us have clearer vision. I talk about that because you're not going to experience these beings as physical beings. It's not like hugging your uncle. They're more something that you experience with your psychic senses that's why elemental witchcraft is about developing your psychic senses developing your ability to perceive as well so when we are experiencing these beings they are projecting an image for us that is more comfortable for us so let's talk about undines because water is my favorite element undines is a broad spectrum word that covers all water elemental beings. I did not go into the detail in the book about every different kind of water elemental areas because there's a lot. But when we think of water elementals, the first one that comes to mind is mermaids. Undines are water elementals similar to mermaids. You know, like another way of describing them would be in fresh water. So seeing that they can be in rivers, they can be in lakes, they can be in the ocean, which is where mermaids are, is they're mostly ocean. They're not physical. What's happening is we are perceiving into that realm, into the realm of water. And the image that we see of them looking like a human is one that is in many ways for communication purposes. Undines of all kinds have a tendency to be drawn to structured water. Um, This takes us into another level, which is a, a form of science. There's a lot of science out there that's right now that's talking about a fourth state of water, which is called structured water. So we know we have liquid gas and solid, but structured water is water that is sticky. So the hydrogen particles are sticking together and they're making kind of like a form. So when we think of the work of Dr. Emoto, for example, with the messages in water, and how we know that water can be programmed, structured water is more easily programmed. And if you're looking at a body of water, every now and then, whether it's, we'll see water that almost looks like it's thick, like it's textured, almost like gelatinous. It has like rings and structures and not because somebody threw a stone in, but because the water itself is making that formation. And that's structured water. Structured water out in a lake or out in a river is going to take on that form. And that is where we're going to actually more likely perceive undines as in water like that. And you'll start noticing those patterns taking on different forms. And if you're using your psychic perception, you're going to be able to perceive other bits of it. There might be telepathic communication. You do have to get out of your own way. You know, this magic, witchcraft, the psychic arts, they require you to use your senses outside of your eyes and your ears. Your eyes and your ears might perceive things, but it is different. And so I know that a lot of people who are on this show are just getting their feet wet. And I always think that's such an exciting time because there's so many. Aha uh-huh moments that you have when you're at that point. And I really always tell my students to really appreciate that place because it's really amazing. But the biggest thing that I would tell people is that you have to choose to believe. That's what faith is, is you have to choose to believe. Once you do though, you start perceiving the world in a really miraculous way and i am a person who's practical like you said so like i'm always asking for physical things to to come about in the work that i'm doing and so the book has plenty of that stuff too that tells you to record your information so that you can track whether your work is actually effective or not
0: yeah that's great advice it's too hard to try to keep track mentally it is we forget way too much
1: you do People will say things to me like, sometimes I know things. And I'm like, really? How often? And they're like, I don't know. Now, if you're journaling and you're keeping track of that, you're not only going to realize how often you are perceiving into this unseen world, how often you're seeing into those other dimensions even, you know? So I'm sure that many of your viewers have experienced spirit in some way, shape, or form. They might have caught something out of the corner of their eye. They might have seen an orb. They might have heard something because not all of us see. That's one of the things I try to make really clear. When the word see is used in any kind of psychic development description, what it's really talking about is sensing. Some people might be more feelers. Some people might have more of their experiences come through audibly some people will see, but only in their mind's eye. I'm a fortunate person. I can perceive into the unseen world through all of my senses, which makes me good at teaching because I can reach people where they're at. And I try to do that in my books too. I try to really be inclusive to help people understand that your ability is not based on how many of your senses you have on board the ability really comes from how good are you at using the abilities that you have like the the things that are coming to you developing those and you can develop other things but we're not all going to experience in the same way
0: correct and do you think that if someone is good at you know one of the senses and that's their strength or maybe a couple of them do you think that everyone can develop all of them if they work at it or
1: Yes. I look at, well, I call it an art. I talk about the psychic arts a lot. And one of the things that I'm really clear about is there's two different factors. One is ability. Ability is what you are born with or what is latent. That's your latent ability. That I believe is developed in previous lifetimes. So people who have a lot of ability myself, for example, I have been aware of my past life since I was a little kid and in all of those lives, I was doing significant things with my psychic ability. That's a lot of what Jump Girl is about and about me growing up psychic. People with a lot of ability are going to have experiences whether they train or not. They're going to be the one that in the haunted house has an experience. They're going to be the one Who knows things about people that they don't know how they know or has a premonition, has dreams that come true. That is ability. If there's no training, that's just ability. Okay. So skill is what we develop through technique and tools and practice. That's a big word right there. Practice, dedication. Anybody who is actually a professional psychic is somebody who has dedicated time to that art because you have to learn your own symbolism. You have to learn how to be able to shut it off so that you can have a normal life. Hmm. There's a lot of things that come with that, but I do believe that I try to suggest that students first work with the skills that come easily to them because confidence is a really important thing in developing psychic ability so if you're trying to work with a skill that you're not very good at in the beginning it's going to feel self-defeating and you might give up. so first develop those skills that come easily and then if you have something that you're really passionate about that you know you really want to do you really want to see you can work on it but that's going to take practice and dedication sometimes finding the right, tool also. For me, I didn't directly work with the healing arts until I found Reiki. I worked in divination, and I certainly was helping people solve their problems, but I didn't have an idea of how to use my energy in a different way yet. But as soon as I started doing Reiki, i deep dove into that too. Like I try to tell people like, I'm a serious geek. This is my thing. And I study it all the time. Even, you know, I don't ever think that there's an end to what we can learn, but that's my choice. Like how fast you go is completely up to you and how far you go. You might be really into something else in a totally deep way, but we all have the ability. A lot of it comes down to how much of your time are you willing to be dedicating to it. In many ways, I, can, I call it an art because like art, everybody has the ability to create art. But in order to be an artist, you have to have natural ability that's like already there and you need to dedicate a lot of time and learn from other people.
0: That's a great analogy. That was great, by the way. I love how you described all of that. I think it's so helpful. This episode is sponsored by the new mainstream Reiki community, where we bring together Reiki practitioners of all levels to build a supportive, like-minded community, continue our education and practice together so that we can deepen our understanding of Reiki, explore related topics, and empower ourselves and each other to practice Reiki, more confidently. Join us for live Reiki practice. Participate in group mentoring sessions and conversations to share insights and connect with other Reiki practitioners from around the world in a welcoming atmosphere free of social media and advertising. To learn more, please visit members.mainstreamreiki.com. Can we talk a little bit more though about some other beings so undines are associated with water um can you touch on some others Mm
1: -hmm. yeah undines are water beings and there are like i said many many different forms fire beings are called salamanders so all of this is an old scientific terminology and why they're called salamanders is that often two things Logs picked up for a fire, like if a fire started, you might have had salamanders coming out. So they use that association because of the coloration. And also because sometimes when you're looking at fire, it does look like it has either dragons or snakes or, you know, it has a very reptilian kind of feel to it sometimes. And I believe that that played a part into it as well. But it's important to understand that even though the term salamander is the broad scientific term, jinn are considered part of our fire elementals, you know, because they are smokeless fire and they are desert beings, okay? Or they're more connected to arid places. That's Now there can be crossovers because one of the things is that we Carried when we migrated to the United States, we brought a lot of our beings with us. Because if you're talking about something on a dimensional level, if you believe strongly in something, you're going to still have it as part of your culture. But it's going to be more likely that a person would run into a djinn if they were in an arid environment than, you know, a djinn would be absolutely miserable in Iceland. Unless it was like sitting on the volcano part, you know <laughs> like uh, you know what I mean it's like there's a there's an environment for it. I did separate the two different types that I thought that most earth elementals fell into. We have more of a knowledge of earth elementals because we're more likely to see them because they're more like us because they are more directly connected to. The physical realm. Okay. So when we think of fairy beings, a lot of what we're thinking about are different types of earth elementals. And the two groups that I broke them down to in the book were trolls and gnomes. So, trolls and giants are part of that same family. They like rocky environments, they like desolate areas. They don't really particularly care about having a well groomed, you know, yard or forest gnomes are more of what we think of when, I mean, there's two things. There is There are actually both trolls and gnomes. So they have a title, but they also are beings. Okay. So giants are considered trolls, but trolls are also trolls. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, if you look up trolls in online, you're going to come up with a being that's most likely out of a Scandinavian country. A giant is also comes out of that lore a lot of times, but they are also going to fall into that subclass uh, that is just called trolls, like stuck in one lump sum. And gnomes, the same thing. We think of David the Gnome from watching cartoons or whatever. That is a particular type of being, but the folk would fall under that category elves would fall under that category they're earth beings that are usually known for plush beautiful places okay so where the, the trolls have more of like that rocky terrain and the gnomes like more of what we think of as like the enchanted forest and you can usually tell when you come into a place that's being. Cared for by a otherworldly or elemental being, because there will be a feel for it. You know, not every lake is going to have undines in it. It's usually going to be places that are more sacred or treated a certain way that are going to have these kind of things or kind of beings that are easier to connect with. And you can develop relationships with them, entice them to those areas. So, like if you're trying to you know, entice gnomes like earth fairies, whether you're talking about Hulda folk or gnomes themselves or elves, or you want those, you know, divas in your garden, you're going to want to make your land look inviting to them. You're going to want to make them a space where you can connect with them. And I have all sorts of instructions on how to do that, how to create altars to work with different beings. And also I'm really super environmental. So I always tell people like, if you're going to go and try to form a relationship with another being, you might want to start by becoming a steward and actually becoming a caretaker of that land. If you don't leave garbage around a place, don't, even if it's not yours, pick it up. We have to start having, my whole goal with this is for people to have more awareness that we aren't here by ourselves. And that I think that if we learned, like, for example, when we're pruning our trees, to first ask, like, put your hand on the tree and say, I need to do this. I teach people how to do this, by the way. By doing that, you're doing a couple of things. You are giving the tree the time to pull its energy back out of that branch if you're just like cutting it for brush. But maybe you're cutting it because you want to make a wand. And by asking the tree, telling them what you want, you might find that that tree is willing to infuse that particular piece of wood with a lot of its energy. I know that this is a lot for people to perceive sometimes because it can sound like oh my God, that's impossible. But come on, we're living in a time when we're talking about AI. And if we can't believe in the things that have been believed in by our ancestors forever, you can find fairy lore, lore about elemental beings throughout every single culture. Every culture, they have different names one of the things, and I am not the person for this because I hate having to keep track of where I get information from, like in a bibliography. I mean, but you know what I'm talking about? I'm like, I don't want to do that. So I keep trying to get other author friends to do it. I'd really like to see a book on elemental and fairy beings that was designed by region. They're usually like alphabetical, but how helpful is that? When I went to visit Iceland, for example, Iceland's very. Connected over 50% of the population believes in the fairy folk. The Hulda folk are part of their culture. And they believe in it to the point where they will sometimes not move rocks when they're building a road unless they have a seer come in and communicate with the Hulda folk, the hidden ones, to find out where, or the elves, or whoever's home that is, to find out whether that's okay, because those things are seen as portals. So I experienced a lot by being able to go there and they actually had like, these are the type of beings that are in our area, but a lot of places don't have that. So we don't know. We have to remember that these concepts, like I said, aren't new. We're going back to things.
0: Yeah. You know, that makes me think about the current times. A lot of people are waking up
1: Yes, for sure.
0: these days to their potential. I've noticed a lot of people uh, getting more in tune, more interested in the stargates, you know, astrology, the moon, the natural cycles that we notice on the planet, which, you know, that's taking us back to how our ancestors lived.
1: Well, that's a big part of witchcraft, too, when you talk about the natural cycles one of the things that witchcraft and druidry have in common is that they both work with the cycles of the earth so druidry has more of a focus i think one of the big differences i noticed was solar versus lunar and you know witchcraft comes in lots of flavors i was in a coven for seven years when i was younger and it Started with Wicca, I found Wicca to be a little too restrictive for me. Like my brain wanted to be able to be more inclusive to a lot of different things. But I really noticed that the difference was what they were following was it the moon or the sun? And Druidry is very much about the turning of the year. Witchcraft has that in it as well. But a lot of the focus of magic is often done around moon cycles. And Druidry, you celebrate more of the solar cycles. You're right. I refer to it as psychic evolution. So, like I said, I really try to be very inclusive. I have a lot of really super normal clients. And so I always try to take like, you know, magic is science. that hasn't been explained yet. And, you know, why are these things affecting us? And that's why I call it psychic evolution, because I've been tracking this, you know, not with like graphs and charts, but just in my own experience, I've been doing readings since I was 18, I'm 52. So we're like 34 years now. Okay. And in the beginning, if I saw 10 people, maybe one or two would have been having psychic experiences. Now it's more like eight out of 10. And now because it's like, especially through COVID and I'm finding that that, again, it's like almost everybody I see is having some psychic experience. And I see a pretty broad range of people. So there's a difference between the people who come to me to actually take classes with me and the people who come to me because they want my services. And the people coming to me who want my services in 2019, most of that year, I felt like I was dealing with people who were in traumatic places because they were opening and couldn't understand what was happening to them. And I partially think that one of the things we needed, or at least that was good that came out of the pandemic, was that we were put into more smaller groups because, you know, as you're adjusting to becoming really empathic and to perceiving the world in these bigger ways, people needed space to be able to first handle that in a small setting, let alone going back out into the world. I think that's why witchcraft is no longer in a closet it's all over social media you know it is all over the place you know like i said it's like people are not seeing this there because what it is is witchcraft's pretty normal you know there's lots of different names for it but this is something that most housewives practiced at least at some point you know like when they're making medicine for their sick kids. Well, that's witchcraft. I've been talking about this a lot, that like terminology with science coming to where it is has made a lot of things that used to like be called magic still are technically magic. If I put them in a book, I'm putting them in a book under magic. But energetic healing, that's magic. So that means Reiki's magic. Psychic abilities, when we're reading somebody, that's magic. When we're talking to our ancestral spirits, that's magic. It's hard because sometimes I feel like, but it's not magic because it's actually natural because supernatural is still natural. It's just supersized. So if you get an order of fries, you get an order of supersized fries, you're still getting the same fries, you're just getting more of it. So, you know, psychic ability is that amped up natural ability.
0: Yeah. Where do you think we're headed with all of these people waking up to these realizations and these gifts?
1: Ideally, I think it has to happen. I think that we have to become more, and this is part of the reason that I wrote The Path Elemental Witchcraft, was because we have to become more aware. We have to build relationships between these worlds. We have to realize, because when we do, we will realize that we are also spirit, but we'll also be more considerate of things we're doing because we'll be paying more attention to the energetic value of it. You know, we'll be more sensitive when we are dealing with a coworker who is being really grumpy because we'll be able to feel more and know more and know that, okay, well, this person just dealt with a recent death in the family, or, you know, we need these skills to just become more human. The hard part is going to be the next few years. And that's why people who are interested in learning things like Reiki and learning things like witchcraft and learning things like astrology and where all those different kind of things need to step up to the plate because there's going to be a tremendous amount of fear over the next few years, because let's face it, not everybody wakes up happy. A lot of people wake up grumpy. Some people wake up scared. Some people wake up wanting to go back to bed, stick their head in the sand. That's why we have such a huge spike in exceptional death. I just did an interview for Gaia. One of the things that they brought up was exceptional death. I had didn't have a terminology for it until Meredith brought it up, but it was that exceptional death we're experiencing is a lot of people who are dying by overdose, by suicide, dying young. That's what I mean is exceptional. There's an exceptional amount of young people who are dying, an exceptional amount of people who are dying, not because of illness, but because they're partially responsible for their own passing. And in my opinion, this is directly connected to us becoming more psychic, because you can't become more aware and walk around with all your broken pieces. You have to start healing. You know, there's there's a saying: "Heal or heal thyself." I no longer teach Reiki. I have passed on that mantle to one of my graduate students. I did for over twenty years. And one of the things that I found was that most of my best students were the people who were first my clients. They came and they experienced the healing that Reiki had for them. And then they reached a point where they were ready to take that into their own hands and then turn around and give back to other people what they had experienced, you know, this ability of healing yourself, seeing yourself, for people who are like listening to your show, who are obviously wanting or at least curious about opening, then there is a certain amount of responsibility to educate ourselves so that we can be the wisdom keepers for our family, our neighbors, our community. If you're saying, well, why me? It's like, well, because you're listening. Not just to me, but you're listening to the universe right now. You're hearing the universe communicating with you and telling you that we all need to step up and do our part. We need to empower each other. And I really aim to do that through my writing, like to try to make things like, I think that a lot of times books talk over people's head. Like if you're talking about metaphysical subject, it's the assumption that you aren't ready for this knowledge yet. And in reality, what it really is, is you don't have the vocabulary yet.
0: That's a great point. So
1: when I talk about things that are words that I think people might not understand, I almost always will put in parentheses in my writing exactly what that word means when I'm saying it. And I do the same when I'm speaking. So when I say things like magic is science that hasn't yet been explained, it's because we are evolving and we're going to be using these things. And we can all be afraid, or we can all realize that they're pretty normal things, again, supersized, paranormal, supernatural. It's all something that is in our capacity as human beings to do. And whether a person understands it best through the guise of science, or some fabulous people who are working through that language or whether they find that they experience it better through the teaching of yoga and the different methodologies that are used, or whether they find their way through witchcraft. It's like, I think that what we really need to do as people who are sharing information is we need to be clear about what we're saying, because otherwise you're just preaching to the choir. And how do you change the world if all you're doing is preaching to the choir? You don't.
0: You're absolutely right and how you explain things. And what struck me is we're in an age of redefinition. We are. What we've been told, what we've believed, you know, all that old stuff. Yeah. We can't drag those meanings into our present and into our future. We're in an age of redefinition.
1: For sure. That's a nice way of putting it because I really think of this as we need to be expansive. One of the reasons why witchcraft is so popular right now is because we have stepped away from a dominant religion. Like when most of our of my life growing up, or even before, like when I was a child, it was really that regardless of what you personally believed, you, it was assumed that you were Christian because you celebrated Christmas and you celebrated Easter. And people started to question, you know, does this belief system fit with what I believe? We started expanding our consciousness, but one of the things that happened is because of that, we're living in a time of spiritual starvation too, where a lot of people don't know where to find a sense of connection anymore. Witchcraft, regardless of whether you have a religious belief or you don't, is something that helps you to connect, which is what we're, we want. We want a connection. So it helps you to connect. It helps you to connect because you realize that you are connected to the tree and you are connected to the water and you are connected to the rock that's underneath you. And you can gain strength and energy through that connection that you can then use to make changes in your life. We're starting to really value our own responsibility in that. Like A Course of Miracles is another way of looking at, you know, I look at that stuff and I'm like, technically that's witchcraft. They don't call it that, but that's what that is, okay? Like the structure is not that different. The secret, people who read The Secret, anybody who has studied witchcraft for any amount of time went through and went, this is like beginner level witchcraft stuff here. People shouldn't be afraid to start where they start. And I also think that people should go into it with a awareness that they can go at their own speed. And if something doesn't feel comfortable to them, then it's not right for them. And that they have a deep inner knowing that actually says this resonates for me or this doesn't. And that's one of the things I think that witchcraft in general really gives to people. Everybody that I've ever you know worked with or met it gives them an avenue to explore themselves and develop their own intuition their own psychic abilities their own ability to manifest and elemental witchcraft does that through a deep connection to nature and i even talk about ways that people can practice it when they live in a city because i've done a lot of work because part of my work isn't about what i can get out of it it's also about what can I do to give back? So I do water attunements a lot on polluted waterways for the same reason that Dr. Emoto brought people to polluted places and had them all think about the water being healthy. We know that we can change these things, not by our thoughts alone, but our thoughts do play into that. And magic in many ways is the will in the way. It's The ability to focus your will, to harness it. Witchcraft just gives you so many techniques on how to begin to harness and how to even advance that. Because, like, the path of elemental witchcraft isn't just for beginners, advanced practitioners will find exercises in there that take them to higher levels. Because I really am a deep dive kind of gal.
0: I am just even more fascinated than when we started. Sally Crow, I have to say, as we were talking, and you even brought up Emoto with the water, and when you very first brought it up, I thought to myself, witchcraft. Right. And it's funny because we, we came at the end, and you brought it up again, and I thought, yeah, if we think about it, you know, just cooking food is witchcraft.
1: Especially if you're cooking with intention.
0: Yes. Yes. The intention. Yes. Yes. You use the word will there in in there too, but mm-hmm. wow, this has just been fascinating, enlightening, and I'm more excited about this topic than ever before. I just want to thank you so much for coming and being on the show and sharing so freely with the listeners. If they want to reach out to you, how would you invite them to best do that?
1: I'm on social media, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. I have a really significant website where they can find that I blog almost every week. And if you sign up for my newsletter, which it will prompt you to do, you will get a copy of my blog every week that also has information. I run my blog kind of like a story and a newsletter at the same time. So you'll get plenty of information on any kind of things that I have coming up, sallycrow.com dot com.
0: That's fantastic. And we, of course, will put your links down in the show notes on all the podcast apps and in the video description uh, underneath the video when we put it up on YouTube. Awesome. Thank you again, Sally Crow. It's just been an absolute joy to have you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: This episode is sponsored by the new mainstream Reiki community, where we bring together Reiki practitioners of all levels, styles, and lineages to build a supportive, like-minded community, continue our education and practice together so that we can deepen our understanding of Reiki, explore related topics, and empower ourselves and each other to practice Reiki with more confidence. Join us for live Reiki practice, participate in group mentoring sessions, and conversations to share insights and connect with other Reiki practitioners in a welcoming atmosphere free of social media and advertising. If you'd like to learn more about joining us there, please visit members.mainstreamreiki.com. Thank you for listening, and you can check the show notes or visit the website beyondthereikigateway.com to find out more about the podcast and connect with me. Please keep in mind that views and opinions expressed in the show don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast or anyone affiliated with its production or advertising. This program is presented for your entertainment only, and all information provided is to be utilized at the listener's own discretion. I, along with the BTRG team, hope you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy making it for you. Wishing you highest blessings until we meet again beyond the Reiki Gateway.